Let's get to the word. So find Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. And uh, today, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are celebrating Pentecost. Um, It is seven weeks after Passover, in case you uh, missed out on that. And so that's when Pentecost takes place, about 50 days um, following Passover, but seven weeks to be exact. So Acts chapter 2, most of us will be familiar um, with this text because it's a huge part of how we operate as a church, being filled with the Holy Spirit. This was an event that impacted all of us um, throughout the church age. And um, here at the onset of chapter 2, it's interesting to note a few things about what's going on because if you work out the timeline, it really gives you more perspective on what the disciples were going through at this time. So it's been 50 days since Jesus was crucified. Since then, since that happened, uh, they had seen Jesus rise from the dead. They continued to visit with him and be taught by him for 40 days following the resurrection, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And so we know that Jesus was actually still here and active and doing some kind of ministry to his disciples and, and appearing to people for 40 days following his resurrection. So if you look at the 50 days that would elapse in between Passover and Pentecost, and Jesus being here for 40-ish of those, if you look at them on that scale, then the disciples have really only been without Christ for about a week and a half or so. And what's interesting about that to me is I think that when we get to Pentecost, because when we start in the book of Acts, we do see Jesus in chapter 1 ascend to the Father, it, it can tend to make us feel like it's been a while since they've seen the Lord, but it hasn't been. It's been a rather short season. And, and about a week and a half is, you know, a pretty short season. It's been a busy month for them. It's been a busy month plus for them. And the climate around them, one of the important things about understanding the time frame here, the climate around them hasn't changed much. Think about this. Jesus was crucified 50 days prior. And that's less than two months. Not a lot has changed socially and politically in their world since that happened. If you kind of take that into perspective, we can take the following statements into account as we look at what they're really going through when the Holy Spirit is sent. The Romans are still in charge. The Romans are still ruling this region. They're still ruling the known world, really. And, and they're the superpower in charge. And that's, that's uh, problematic for someone who wants to be righteous and spiritual, who's growing up in a Greek world. The uprisings are still stirring among the zealots. The zealots are still rising up, the Jewish zealots, that are fighting back against Roman power and want to be free, and they believe in violent uh, means to be free. The Jewish council still hates followers of Jesus, and they're going to seek to silence them if they make any noise. And we'll see that very early on in the, the book of Acts. And so these factors are all in play. What does God do? Knowing this is the climate, there is spiritual threat against them being believers in Christ. There is threatenings from people who want to rise up and violently fight against the Romans. The Romans have an iron fist. They're going to crush people who rise up against them. There is tension in this world. What does God do in a climate of unrest and uncertainty? How does God respond? He pours out his Holy Spirit on the church. God's answer for all these issues is to pour out his spirit on the church. I'm not trying to be subtle here. Are you catching my drift? In times of uncertainty, in times when things are difficult, in seasons where the world seems like it's turned upside down, God pours out his spirit on his church to be witness of him. Because people, when they are shaken to their core and full of fear, they're realizing all the things that they've relied on up to this point are not sufficient. 
These things that they've been trusting in can be taken away. Bad economy can do that. Bad temper can do that. Bad temper can take away a relationship. Bad economy can take away your possessions. What are you left with when this world strips you of everything that you thought you needed? You realize that you need something more. You need something that the world can't take away from you. And so God pours out his spirit on the early church so that they can preach the gospel, the truth, the good news. The gospel is the answer for this world. It was then, it is now. The gospel preached and the gospel lived. I want to be really specific about that. The gospel preached, we need to preach it in truth, and we need to live it in truth. We can't just talk about it, we have to live it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're enabled and strengthened to stand in this world and deliver this message of hope. And I know that so many times we just, we see these things happening around us, we're like, the end times must be coming. They are. They absolutely are. But we shouldn't be looking for an escape clause. We shouldn't be looking for a way to get out of this world. God has us here for such a season as this. And we're called to be filled with his spirit and work in this season. And what I want us to do, church, is to cry out to the Lord to refill us powerfully with his spirit again. And there's no better day to cry out for that than as we recognize and celebrate Pentecost today. We need to stand and deliver a message of hope. Because I don't know if you've looked at the news or looked at Facebook this week, our world is losing hope. They are losing hope. They've been stripped of freedom. They've been stripped of their sense of decency. All sides are being corrupted by sin. Jesus is our answer. Jesus is the cure. And the church needs to rise up and speak and live a message of hope, of grace, of forgiveness. Let's look at this opening section of Acts 2 this morning. And, and I, I don't want this message to be politically charged, but we, we can't hide from the things that are happening in our world. We can't hide from the situations that we're reading and seeing and happening around us. We cannot turn a blind eye to what's going on. What we need to do is we need to know how to live gospel-centric lives in the midst of this chaos. We need to know what our role is in the midst of this. And our role is to be spirit-filled believers in Jesus. So let's look at how this started for the church and just take some things and encourage ourselves with this. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. On Pentecost, or we would call this the Feast of Weeks, if you read about it in the Old Testament, many religious pilgrims would fill Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. They would fill Jerusalem, they would come from all over, and we'll see this later on in the text, that they're coming from as far as northern Africa to all the way up to Mesopotamia. These people are coming from everywhere to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, here in Jerusalem. And as it's explained in Leviticus 23, knowing that this is 50 days after the Passover, what a time for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the church. Not only this feast that's going on with all these people gathered, but also the condition of society at this moment. 
with Christ having been crucified, risen from the dead, the disciples being aware of his, his life and his resurrection and being encouraged by him and watching him ascend to the Father. What a time for the Holy Spirit to be poured out with all these people there to be impacted by it. A time here in this text that provides a unique opportunity in which to proclaim the new message of the gospel. Can we be real for a second? The glasses just came off. <laughs> How sick and tired have you become of the word unprecedented? I have, my wife's raising her hand. <laughs> We've heard this word used so much recently. The last two months, such an unprecedented time. Back to the new normal. I understand that we've gone through a lot. We've all been in this together. How many of us are seeing this as the end of something rather than the beginning? How many of us are seeing this as the end of something that we love and cherish and we just want to get back instead of the beginning of something new? A time like this provides a unique opportunity in which to proclaim the new message of the gospel. Do you realize that the message of the gospel to so many in our country is new? It's not what they've been hearing on TV. It's not what they've been seeing in social media. The message of the gospel, the word of God preached to them in truth and lived out in front of them. This is new. If you don't believe me, do some counseling in high schools. Go to some junior highs and visit. I'm telling you, the message of the gospel is new. The Bible isn't on the coffee table anymore. The Bible isn't even on the bookshelf anymore. These are kids who are growing up in a world without a Bible anywhere near them. This world, this nation is no longer a God-fearing nation. It's a nation that does what's right in its own eyes. And I'll talk about that in a minute. We are living in times that the secular world is recognizing as unprecedented. We should see this as a unique opportunity moment. Don't be disheartened by what you're reading about. Trust me, I'm struggling with this too. I'm really struggling with my heart sinking when I look at the news, when I see what's happening in cities around, when I know people who are living in these cities whose lives are endangered. When I see people's lives being taken on the streets or I see law enforcement being abused on the streets, People are dying. Human beings created in the image of God are dying and suffering. We have to care. We have to care about it. How many of us in the past have seen things similar to what's going on in our world currently, but not at the same time? You know, we can sit back and go, well, that's happened before. Well, that's happened before. Well, that's happened before. Think about this. I mean, here in, in the inland Northwest, we've had earthquakes there was a tornado watch locally last night. They were talking about funnel clouds. That's not normal. You know, and I don't know if they blew it out of proportion, but the storm that came through, the storm of the decade last night. Okay, so we have stuff like that going on. We have earthquakes that are very not normal for this region. A pandemic sweeping the entire world. A recession that we're going into right now. Echoes of the L.A. riots from 1992 all across the country. This isn't just L.A. This is big cities all around us. It's all over the news. That's just the front page. That's just the front page of what's going on. We are living in a unique time. I have never in my life, and I don't have a ton of years, but I've got almost 40 now. I have never seen all of these things in play at the same time. And with this much severity, we are living in a unique time. It turns out we were not put on this earth to take it easy. We always want to be that church, right? We're just going to be the church that has plenty of funding, no violence, 
um, we want Mayberry, right? We're just like, we're going to be the church that actually lives in Mayberry. That's Andy Griffith's show. Watch it. You'll grow. Here's the thing. We want to believe that we're going to grow up in Mayberry. By the way, Mayberry, there is an actual Mayberry, but not the place where Andy Griffith was sheriff. Okay. This is a fictitious place. It doesn't exist. Not in a world full of sin. It doesn't exist in a world full of sin. We live in a world that has been corrupted by sinful man and is reaping the consequences of a lifestyle that we read about in Judges. This is what the world looks like when human beings do what's right in their own eyes. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like in a nation that turns its back on God, that allows the murder of innocent children in the womb by the millions. This is what happens when moral decay gets to the point where people don't care if there's right or wrong. They write these rules themselves. This is what happens. And you know what we need? We need the church to stop being silent and stand up. And I hope you give me an amen where you are. Mm -hmm. We need the church to stop being silent and stand up and say there is a cure for this disease. It's Jesus. And we all have it. We all have this sickness. We all have this virus. And Jesus is the only fix for it. And are you, Christians, church, are you sharing that with the world? We share our opinions so freely. I value your opinions. I want to know what you guys think about things that are going on in our world. But you know what the world needs to hear more than that? They need to hear that Jesus is hope. They need to hear that Jesus is salvation. That's the church's number one message. And from that, we have plenty of things to say to the things that are going on in our world. And we should say them. We should speak up for those who are being oppressed. We should speak up for those who are being mistreated. We should talk about violence and how it shouldn't be happening and make changes and vote things into, into law that will help protect people. But here's the thing. Our primary goal and purpose is to propagate the gospel to a sick and twisted world. That's our number one job. These people that are being murdered and are suffering are people that Jesus came to die for. These people that are doing the murdering, that are doing the painful hurting of others, are people that Jesus came to die for. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. Jesus died for them. They're human beings. We are brothers. We are sisters. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. If you have prejudice, get rid of it. There's no room for it in Christ. No matter where we come from, no matter what color of our skin, Christ died for all of us. Every single one of us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, when we weren't worthy, he died for us. Pentecost was the unique opportunity for what some would call the birth of the church. My prayer is that Pentecost 2020 is remembered as the day the Lord revived his church. That this is the day that he woke us up. That we would recognize the times we live in, as Paul writes about in 1 Thessalonians 5. I encourage you to read this whole chapter. I'm just going to share from verse 4 um, through verse 11. But Paul writes this. But you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest. Let us stay awake, stay woke, church, and be self-controlled. I'm just giving the message, Virgin. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. What are we cladding ourselves with? Faith, love, and the hope of salvation. It's what we put on. It's what we wear. It's what we walk around with. For God did not appoint us to wrath, verse 9 says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, memorize this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Sometimes we need correction. Sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need rebuke. Sometimes we need to be comforted. All of that is done to help us grow. If your words are tearing people down, don't write them. Set that email aside. Set that text message aside. Set that post for Facebook aside and read it later when you're calm. Church, we cannot be those who are responding out of anger and out of fear. We have to be those that are seeking to encourage one another and build each other up. Sometimes rebuke does that. Sometimes correction does that. But correction and rebuke being allowed is not an encouragement for us to use that freely whenever we feel like it. We have to have tact. We have to be seeking to raise someone up and repair what's going on in their lives, not beat it down. There is no formula that controls the outpouring of the Spirit. But I do believe that we can be in a position of readiness. And church, I'm calling us together. You with me. Let's all position ourselves in a place where we are ready for the outpouring of the Spirit where we are stripped of our pride and our fear and our anger, and we are ready to receive the Spirit so that He can do whatever He desires to whatever outcome He desires. We need to be armored up with the faith and love of Christ and the helmet of the hope and salvation. Let us position ourselves to be filled and used. Church, please hear me. Let us position ourselves to be filled and used right now in this season. In unity, waiting for God to work. Look at the position of the church here. When, Pente when Pentecost comes, where are they? Look at verse 1. I know, that's a lot for verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. They gathered up. They're positioned in readiness. In unity, waiting for the Lord. We don't control God. Don't think that just because we show up, He's going to do what we want Him to do. We don't control Him. We position ourselves in readiness for his work. We get together, we ready ourselves, and when he moves, we go. You don't control him, but we can be ready for when he moves. Suddenly, verse 2, suddenly it happened. A sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. A sound like a violent rushing wind from the heaven fills the house. It's a sound like a violent rushing wind. It's not a wind blowing in through a window. They're like, oh, they just had a really strong gust of wind. No, it was a sound like a violent rushing wind. It was a sound like it, not even a violent rushing wind itself. It's, it's important that we're careful with our text. This couldn't have been mistaken for a gust of wind blowing through a window. It was noticeably different. Something was happening. Just something to, to, to share with you guys, just, just as a reminder. When God moves, 
Not only do we not control it, he does things that are separate from understanding who he is. In other words, he can do things that cause us to stop and take notice, but God is still separate from these things. And the reason I say that is a lot of times we try and find a formula of how God's going to work and go, okay, if this happens, it's God. No, God is his own thing. He does what he does. He's not going to do something out of his character, out of his nature, but God is still God. He can use whatever physical means he chooses to wake us up. So the reason I'm saying this is we might want to today go, you know, I'm fired up and maybe I'm sunburned on my leg and I just slapped it really hard. It's okay. If I tear up, it's, it's, it's emotion. Here's the thing. We could maybe get really fired up by this message. I hope this fires you up. I hope it encourages you. I hope it gets you ready to go. But maybe you want to sit in a room and go, okay, if the Lord's going to work, there's going to be a sound like a violent rushing wind. And then I'm going to get a little flame on my head and I got to be careful. So I don't light the closet on fire where I'm praying. Here's the thing. God can use whatever he chooses to wake us up, to get us our, get our attention. Here he uses this sound like a violent rushing wind. It was noticeably different. Notice that it came from heaven. It didn't come from earth. This is something being sent from God. It was noticeably different. The sound was enough to draw people to them as we've heard. Somewhere between verses 2 and 5, this meeting that's gathered together in this room moves outside into a public place. I don't know how they transition, but at some point it does because in verse 6, we read when the sound occurred, a crowd came together. So whatever happened in the room, they moved outside. This crowd starts gathering around, and we know that Peter's going to preach a sermon, and that's going to be something that um, leads to thousands getting saved. Just in case there's any doubt that this sound of the violent rushing wind is something that God is doing, these little tongues of fire separate out and hang over them. Tongues of flames of fire separate and rest on them. John Piper said this really well. At times the Spirit stoops to give us visible, audible, touchable demonstrations of His presence and power. I do believe that's what we're seeing happen here. We're seeing a visual, a visual um, audible demonstration of His presence and power. It's something that's obvious that God is doing something special here. And Piper continues, God is not fire. God is not wind. God is not a dove. He is not a warm glow. So he will not use these manifestations in a way that allows us to confuse him with them. He is free. But when he pleases, there may be fire and there may be sound. There may be things happening that are visually and audibly changing, but God is free. He is using these things to make us aware. Are our senses on cue for when God moves? We don't control him. We position ourselves in readiness for however he's going to work. Whether there's fire, wind, silence, or new spirit empowered ability. Look at verse 4. This isn't normal. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enables them. Now they're speaking in tongues. And they're not blathering. What they're saying is understandable by those who are around them from different nations. And we'll see that in a minute. Worship begins to pour forth as the disciples, now in the public setting, as verses 7 and 8 indicate, look at verses 7 and 8, they, the crowd, were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Verse 11, the second half, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. What the disciples are saying here is the Holy Spirit empowers them is they're praising and worshiping God 
telling of the wonderful works that he has done in all the languages of the people present. It's understandable. And this is assembling them so that the word can be preached. We don't have time to get into that section. But here's the important thing. When the Holy Spirit is moving, it's drawing people together through this amazing phenomenon so that the gospel can be preached. So that they can hear the message of hope. When we are in unique circumstances, recognize what you are in and look for an opportunity to preach the gospel. Look for the opportunity to share the hope of Christ. You're like, that's the scary part. You will be empowered by the Spirit to do so, but you better be ready. You'll never be more ready than if you are spending time in the Word daily, than if you are spending time in prayer daily. That will condition and prepare your heart for the moment that God works. You don't want to be found unprepared. As we seek for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our church today, we seek a unified message of praise to our God, for all that he's done that will draw people to hear of these things and so that they can hear the message of the gospel. And Peter's going to say this at the end of his message when they're like, what do we do? In verses 38 through 40 of this chapter, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. How many? All who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. He doesn't desire that any perish. He wants all to have everlasting life in Christ. He is calling out, will people listen? With many other, verse 40 says, words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. Be saved from this corrupt generation generation we live in a very corrupt generation the world hasn't gotten any better in 2,000 years the world hasn't gotten any better since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden sin has continued to be a problem the antidote has continued to be the son of man here in this country where we call ourselves free we are more enslaved to sin than I've ever seen. We are more pawns of the enemy's scheme than I've ever seen. Our brothers and sisters are murdered in cold blood. Justice isn't given when it should be. Rioting and killing and looting is called justice and response. And, and most of you know me pretty well in this way. I, I, I really don't enter into a lot of political discussions. I try and answer things from a biblical point of view, and I try to save my opinions for those who ask for them, but to offer biblical counsel to people. But in light of what's been happening in our nation in recent weeks and the amount of media coverage that's been given, um, I think we need to have perspective in what's going on. There's a lot of push right now to choose sides. I'm not choosing a side, I'm on Jesus' side. And that's not Switzerland. I'm not saying I'm not choosing a side. I'm just staying neutral here. I'm not saying that at all. I've chosen my side. It's in Jesus. That's whose side I'm on. And because of that, I speak out to things that are happening. What happened to Ahmaud Arbery, what happened to George Floyd wasn't right. It wasn't right. These were men created in the image of God and they were murdered. It's not okay. There needs to be justice for that. We shouldn't be okay with it. It should break our hearts. Just the same as we shouldn't be okay with the murder of police officers who are doing their job. Mm -hmm. 
We shouldn't be okay with that. We shouldn't be okay with the other. These are not against each other. We as Christians look at these situations and say, we don't condone violence. We don't condone murder. It is sin. It is wrong. And people were created in the image of God and need to be told that. They need to be loved into the kingdom. We want our kindness to lead people to repentance just as it works with our Father. We shouldn't be okay with these things. And we shouldn't be okay with people using this as an excuse to bring violence on our cities. That's not all right. People, all of this reveals a moral brokenness. All of this reveals that men doing what is right in their own sight has the same effect as it had in the book of Judges. Chaos. Heartbreak. Death. It's all stemming from sin. This is a sin issue. And because it's a sin issue, we care. Because it's a sin issue, we act. I want us to unite with people. I want people who love the Lord to get together and reach out to the communities. I want you to know that if you are seeking Christ, if you are seeking God, you are welcome at Transform. Mm -hmm. We want you with us. Mm -hmm. We want you to come. We want to bless you. We want to, we want to pray over you. We want to minister to you. You will never be discriminated against. Here's the thing. Jesus offers hope to all, but we come recognizing that he called every single one of us to deny ourselves to take up our cross and to follow him. He asked me and he asked you to do it. That's the call that's on our lives. We don't come under any kind of heading. You know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. We are children of God. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. He unifies us and we want people who are on the outside to come be a part of this. We want people who are not saved to get saved. We want them to be introduced to our Savior who offers them a living hope. If racism is our sin, we need Jesus. If violence is our sin, we need Jesus. If anger is our sin, we need Jesus. If adultery is our sin, we need Jesus. If theft is our sin, we need Jesus. He is the answer to all of these things. No one should be justifying what they're doing when it's sin. You cannot justify it. Jesus is the answer. Every single one of us needs to examine our own hearts. And if any of these things or any of the things that in the word of God, he says, this is sin, this is wrong. If we find those in our heart, we need to confess it. We need to give it up and we need to be renewed. We need to be cleansed of that sin. We need to be saved from it. It is slavery to be in sin in this way. We cannot allow sin to remain in our hearts and not see it spilling out on the lives of others around us and destroying ourselves. Church, we can't deal with this in the world until we deal with it in our own selves. We can't ask the world to face the consequences and to recognize what the consequences of sin is until we have done it ourselves. And I believe there is sin within the church. I believe that these issues exist in us and that we need to confess them. We cannot be a people who are Sunday morning Christians any longer, who say they believe what's in the Bible, but then deny it through their actions and their lifestyle. We need to come forward and recognize that we are broken, that we need to be filled with the Spirit. We're living in a nation that is literally tearing itself apart in fear. It's almost like this was a setup 
coming through a pandemic and watching people be isolated away from each other, left to their own thoughts, left to social media, left to watch the news day in and day out. And then people start getting murdered senselessly. Now there's rioting. Now people have been pent up with all this anger and nothing to do are taking it out on innocent people and more innocent people are being harmed. I'm not okay with people being murdered in cold blood. We need to speak up. But we can't just let our opinions be known. We need people to know there's a cure for this. That Jesus is the answer. And that there is love and grace and mercy found within the arms of the church because we've been filled with the love of God. That there is love, grace, and mercy and encouragement found in the church. That there is unity in the church no matter what the color of the skin. That we don't see it that way. We see the body of Christ. That it's beautiful in its diversity. When we all come together and submit to the word of God, that's an amazing thing. It's what makes us unique. Think about how amazingly unique the church would be and how much the world would sit up and take notice if we dropped all of our prejudice and we brought us, we all came together and unified as the body of Christ. This is what we're praying for for our community right now. We want to see churches that may have different styles of teaching and we want to get together. We have to be agreed together on doctrine. But we can see other issues differently and still fellowship. We can see things differently and still love each other and still encourage each other and still have an impact in our community. We have not been given a spirit of fear at church. We should not fear these types of things. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, one of power, love, and sound judgment. We need to love each other. We need to address things that are wrong. We need to work these things out. We don't quit on each other. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit and been empowered by him to be light in this world of darkness. And if the church looks much like what the world looks like, just a better version, that's still wrong. It's still broken. It's our calling to show grace, mercy, and forgiveness to those who are enslaved in darkness and to call them to repentance and forgiveness and that they would know that their sins can be cleansed in Christ. We need him because church, this nation needs to see love pouring out of us. We need to be filled with the Spirit as they were on the day of Pentecost because this world needs to see us. Well, like Jesus said in the Gospel of John, when he stood up at the Feast of Booths and he said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of him and out of his heart will flow a torrent of living water. And John says, He said this speaking of the Holy Spirit. We want people around us to get drenched with the Spirit. Because it's just pouring out of our lives. This nation needs us to be filled so that we can have an impact. They need us to get our act together. And that's not beating you down. That's a call to arms. Let's rise up and be the church the way we're supposed to be. This nation needs revival. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want it to happen today. But here's the thing. I don't control God. It's my job to be ready. It's our job as the church to be ready. Some may sneer. It's an interesting thought as we, we look at the end of this text for this morning. But as you see them speaking in the languages of all these people, in verses 9 and 10, 
continue on through verse 11. So they said, we hear them declaring magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But verse 13 is interesting. Some sneered and said they're drunk on new wine. Some may sneer. Should the Lord call us up to do something? Don't care. We can't care. We can't care if people sneer. Because some may say, what does this mean? What is this? You see, the ones who are asking that question, what does this mean, are the ones that are about to be preached to. They're the ones whose hearts are open. They're not sneering. They're asking. Are we ready to answer when the question is asked? Are we prepared to give an answer? Peter was, and he preached a sermon that was dynamite. Not because it was about him, because it was about the Lord. It was right out of Scripture. It was spirit and power. May we too be ready to preach as Peter was when God empowers us by his spirit to do so. Church, we alone are not the answer for what's going on in our world right now. But by the power of the Spirit, we hold the cure in our hand. We have to deliver it. God has entrusted it to us to deliver it to people. And I think that we all need to consider whether we're using the avenues that he's provided for us to do so. Think carefully. Along with me, I want to go through this process with you guys. We're all in this together. We're a body. Jesus is our head. But think carefully about how we are delivering the message of hope to this world. We are on God's side. And that means that we speak up to injustice. It means that we speak up to sin. It means that we don't let it get by us. We want to see it dealt with on all sides. We don't accept it in any way, shape, or form. We call people's attention to what Jesus has done to save them from that slavery. I just want to ask everyone to close their eyes and, and bow their heads. And I just want to take a moment to pray. And as we pray, I'm just trusting that those of you who are watching live right now, or if you're watching this later, to take this time as well and to ask God to cleanse our hearts of anything that is inside of it that is not of Him. Maybe it's hatred for people. Maybe it's disgust with the world. Lord, we are to hate sin as much as you hate sin, but not hate people. Mm -hmm. Don't let us blur those lines. Don't let us blur the line. God, I pray that we would have perspective. We want to position ourselves in readiness for your work in this world. We recognize that we don't control you. God, we want your spirit to be poured out on us fresh. 
and we can't control whether that happens today or not. You do what you wish. Just find in us readiness. Find in us open hands. Open hearts. Lord, use us as a part of the healing of this. I just feel like we got to pray for our nation, Lord. As, as a nation that, I don't know if most people see this anymore, but Lord, we used to declare ourselves as a Christian nation. It's a God-fearing nation. It's on our, our coins. God, that we trust in you. And from the world's perspective on the outside, we're just ripping ourselves to pieces. We're tearing at each other. Lord, if people associate us with being a Christian nation, we are the cause of nations mocking you. Call the church up. Pull us out of this lethargy. Awaken us to be active. God, I pray for the people in our ministry at Transform Ministries, Lord, to be light and salt. God, make us the saltiest group of believers, Lord, in this area. I pray that that's who we would be known as, Lord, not in a bad way, but as in a way that, that we are empowered by you, that we know you, that we offer hope. The, the, the direction you've been taking this ministry, Lord, the location that you're taking us to, God, that I, I fully believe you're going to plant us in, Lord, we are going to be in the midst, Lord, of a, an area that needs your hope. We're being called to do ministry in a place where there's going to be hopelessness and pain. Call us up. Raise us up. Empower us with your spirit. God, would you refresh our souls as we worship. We don't try to manufacture or create any kind of special situation where you can work. God, you do what you want. We just position ourselves in readiness. Mm -hmm.